0: Hello everyone, my name's Colin, and I'm here today with Otter. Otter's visiting us from England, from from London, right? Yeah, from London. Very cool. Um, Yes, so you're with Caravan Coffee Roasters?
1: Yeah, that's right. I'm the head of coffee for Caravan. Um, We're a roastery in like the north part of the city, been around for about 11 years now.
0: Very cool. Mm -hmm. And you are uh, originally not originally, but you, you spent some time in Chicago. Correct? Yeah,
1: almost a decade actually. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I was a roaster here for about five years before I moved over. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I worked I worked for Half-Wit, um another local uh, Chicago roastery.
0: Cool. Cool. Maybe like uh, let's let's, uh, let's just go into it. What, let's let's hear like what's your coffee story? How what, how, what like what got you coffee here? story.
1: Yes. Um, well, the narrative is pretty typical, I think, mm-hmm. for a lot of people in coffee. I started as a barista when I was. Um, about 21, I was in I was in college and um, I was studying anthropology um, in Ann Arbor, um, and I yeah just needed a job to be honest. And I found this little cafe where they were roasting their own coffee and you know like one of those kind of third wave but like early third wave mm-hmm. places. This was like I want to say 2006. Yeah. And um, yeah, so got a job there. It was really lucky because they. We're involved a lot with the kind of competition scene. Um, I learned how to roast coffee, actually with uh, with somebody that now works here, Miro Lomeli. Um, he was uh, yeah my coworker for a number of years awesome. uh, in Michigan, and then uh, yeah moved to Chicago. Um, I've done like a you know a variety of different coffee jobs. I've been a trainer, cafe manager. Um, when the Wormhole, uh, which is a cafe here in Chicago. Decided to start roasting their own coffee. I was really keen to join that that group, uh, and but at first I didn't really have any idea what I was doing. So I just kind of offered to like sweep the floor or like put coffee into bags. Um, so I was just doing production work and whatever I could get my hands on, um, and then eventually got trained to to roast uh, on their little 12 kilo Diedrich, and um, and yeah, then I basically kind of went from there, um, became the director of coffee there after a few years and then stayed there doing a lot of coffee sourcing and and roasting uh, until I ended up moving to London Mm. about four years ago.
0: Okay. Yeah. So our time in uh, coffee in Chicago was like, I think, because I I knew some of the people from like your circles and I remember (laughs) like right after I moved here, them talking about Otter's leaving, but yeah. we never got to meet actually in Chicago. Yeah, or, yeah, right it's, the same time. A
1: lot of things have happened. I feel like since I left, there's been some interesting, you know, developments in the scene here, and um, obviously the pandemic has had a, a big impact as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I did. I did a master's degree when I went went to London, so um, I wasn't. I was working in coffee, but actually, kind of just odd jobs. It was it was interesting to go from being like. A, You know director of coffee to basically just like pulling shots at a cafe while i was uh, working part-time doing my masters
0: What were you studying
1: um i did uh uh, international development um with a focus on coffee supply chains actually wow um so i uh, i did my uh, my dissertation on uh, coffee farm workers in colombia Mm -hmm. um, which is a really interesting opportunity to study and learn about things that i probably would never have the time to delve into now Mm -hmm. Um, but it was also, it was a it was a hectic year. Um, I yeah I feel really lucky to to be able to kind of have the time to just ask those questions. Um, and then yeah I got out of that job and was um, working for a coffee focused charity which is called Twin. They're no longer around sadly they lost their funding. Um, but they yeah mostly worked on uh, projects with coffee and cocoa farmers. Um, Around the world, so that was a really interesting uh, opportunity as well. Uh,
0: wow! This is, so this is—I didn't know any of this. So mm. this is like all okay. I'm gonna, wheels are starting to turn a little. Uh, with with this whole like coffee journey, what point in it, starting to work in cafes did it become like something that you wanted to really devote a longer term portion of your life to?
1: I think I was really down the rabbit hole from almost day one. I I studied anthropology in the, in you know in my Bachelor's degree, and I was always looking for an opportunity to learn more about other places, other cultures, and kind of connect the dots between places. And I feel like coffee for me had that potential from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Whether it was like people working in other parts of the country, so initially it was like traveling around the U.S., you know, for competitions and um, expos and things. And then the more I got into roasting, the more it was you know traveling around to visit farms and um, other places that I was able to meet new people and see a different perspective. So, I think the more I got into the roasting side, the more it felt like a real career for me because I'm not the kind of person that wants to necessarily do customer service. Uh, With all due respect to those that like that, I Mm -hmm. just needed a little bit more like focus on the kind of the groundwork, so yeah. But I think yeah, for the last like 10 years, really the focus for me has been how do I you know make an impact in whether it's through roasting or importing or you know wh- where is that going to lead me?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a for me too. It was a, as I yeah, I got interested in what was in the cup, and then it sort of expanded into this like the, it's a very vast world that it covers. You know, it's so many people all yeah. over the place.
1: It's got this onion thing right you just yeah, peel it back and there's another going. layer. It yeah. really
0: does. I was explaining that to a, a friend visiting the other day that didn't know anything about what I did. It was it just yeah it for somebody that has no idea about coffee it, it is shocking how how yeah. many parts of the world it touches how many people's lives. Yeah. Uh, what was your first visit to a coffee farm?
1: Um, this is strange so when I was like I think it was 2014 I was uh, pretty new at like roasting for um, for Halfwit and we uh, kind of got an opportunity to travel um, as a host. I was hosted by the FNC, mm-hmm. um, which for those that don't know is like a, the biggest like um, coffee growers federation in in the world. It's in Colombia and they, they represent about a half a million coffee farmers there, represent is a loose term here. Um, but they wanted to, in 2014, there was a big push for the FNC to start understanding the specialty coffee industry more, mm-hmm. what they were looking for, what smaller roasters wanted. And it was just like an importer that we had bought a little bit of coffee from was like, hey, I've got this opportunity. If you want to travel to Colombia like in three days um, and represent like micro roasters at this big, at the Colombian coffee expo, mm-hmm. like you can, you can go you like, I'll, it's like fully paid. Oh. So. Obviously, I basically begged my boss at the time to be yeah. like, "Can I do this?" And he, yeah, he was, you know, generously said, "Will you yeah, roast go for ahead. me?" Yeah, 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 and it was, it was really cool. It was really bizarre because, obviously, being hosted by the FNC, I met like the director of the FNC. I met like all these people like really high up in like coffee in Colombia, mm-hmm. and I was like, we were roasting like. You know, we were getting orders of like one or two bags at that point. So it sure. felt really strange to try to like speak to an industry that I was still just really fledgling in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're
0: talking about millions of bags. And yeah. yeah, and for those that don't know, Colombia, the, the coffee, especially with FNC, it's like the culture of coffee production in that country, it's like so ingrained in, in everywhere that I yeah. visited there. It's
1: they also wanted like answers about like, so where do you think, you know, this part of the industry is going? And I was just like... I really don't know (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know it's like not i i didn't want to like say the wrong thing so i think i just like kind of sat there with a funny look on my face
0: (laughs) so since then first first time was a unique experience
1: yeah i've had a few um but yeah since then i've traveled i've only really traveled through latin america i've gone um multiple times to places like guatemala colombia Mm -hmm. Um, i went to brazil for the first time a couple summers ago uh, started doing a lot more um, travel through Peru as well when I was um, working for the charity. We did a lot of work there mm-hmm. um, So yeah, I'm I'm really I feel very blessed to be um, Have been able to, to travel through that part of the world. Um, the next step would be um, Yeah, try to visit Africa. Yes, we have some relationships in uh, Asia Pacific as well mm-hmm. um, But obviously all that's a little bit on hold right now. Yes
0: <laughs> Yeah, we're we're tentatively like Doing, ex- starting to you know, maybe plan a little bit of travel, yeah. but it is still. It's important to remember that, especially all the countries that are producing coffee are uh, far from, through any version of their yeah, even with the pandemic. even
1: places like the UK that are, you know, pretty far along. I think in the vaccine rollout are still having their own sets of problems. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I think yeah, it's important to ha- temper things with like a bit of patience. Um, it seems like people have waited a long time, but realistically. I'm of the opinion that you know most things can be done through WhatsApp or Zoom, mm-hmm. um, and that visiting is always really great for relationship building and really great for marketing and things like that. But it's not always necessary. So hmm. um, yeah, I try to take. You know, it's it, personally I'd love to be you know hanging out in a lot of these countries, but if it's not needed, then maybe it's more of a burden than it is right. Especially else. if
0: it's putting people at risk in any way. Exactly. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about the UK now about, about mm. Caravan. Uh, sure. What is Caravan like? What what kind of what, what kind of roasting do you do? Like, sure. what's the, what's the green coffee sourcing strategy like there?
1: Yeah, we um, so Caravan started in 2010. Um, London's coffee scene is a little bit uh, younger than mm. it is here in the U.S. Um, though it you know it was pretty. Um, There's a few big players early on. You've got your like. Square Mile, if you've heard of them, they're pretty pretty big. Um, Caravan was uh, started in the basement of a restaurant. Um, it was these three uh, New Zealander friends that um, went working in hospitality for a number of years that wanted to open their own restaurant. And for them, in New Zealand, coffee and coffee culture is really linked with um, food culture. Mm-hmm. There's lots of places where you get a really nice coffee with your brunch or your, or your dinner. So they wanted to introduce that as well to the London kind of um, culinary scene. So they, they had like a little 12 kilo uh, probat in the basement of their first restaurant, which I don't know how that worked out. Um, and yeah, it sounds very hot. It was hot, I think. Yeah. And it was also a pain to get the coffee up and down the stairs. Um, but yeah, they did that. And you know, the coffee part took off. Like there's lots of people asking if they could buy it. And so I think they kind of fell into the roastery business just really organically, um, and then yeah, moved into a space uh, in what's a neighborhood called King's Cross, um, really close to this big um, train station there. Beautiful old Victorian building, um, and then so subsequently over the last ten years, they've opened about six restaurants and um, and have moved again into um, the roastery we're at now, which is uh, in the North Islington neighborhood. Um, it's a it's a really big, beautiful space. We have a 70 kilo um, Loring um, where we, yeah, we roast about, um, well, pre-pandemic, about like four tons of coffee, uh, for, four tons in kilograms. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to do that. Need a couple we're of we're here with metric coffee, remember? So yeah, we're gonna We can talk in kilos, kilos if we want to. It's about
0: yeah. 2.2 pounds per kilo.
1: Yeah, so it was about, it was close to 10,000 pounds per week, okay. um, which is, for me, that was a huge jump. That's a lot of I'm coffee, to, yeah, um, which is which is great. It it gave me an opportunity. It gives me an opportunity to really think more broadly about the impact um, that my buying has mm-hmm. and the sourcing program in general. So, yeah, we source coffee from um, from everywhere, but we only we have like two made espresso blends, a filter blend. Um, we have about like four or five single origins at any given time. Pretty similar, I think, to you. Mm-hmm. Um, we are like mostly a wholesale business. Um, we have our own like cafes and restaurants, but we mostly do s- um, supply wholesale around the UK. Um, and yeah, I think we're at the moment just you know like many people coming out the other side of the pandemic, um, looking at what's happened and reassessing where we want to move from here. Um, but it's been it's been a wild ride. I started with them in December, right before December 2019. So I had about three months on under my belt before everything. Mm-hmm hit the fan so to speak so yeah Yeah.
0: so it's been a constant uh just like version of changes and inconsistencies
1: yeah Yeah, but a good opportunity as well because it gave me some time to actually maybe sit down and plan things out like what would I like to see Mm -hmm. you know um really focus on what was important for us as a company and then also for me as a coffee buyer um and yeah I think we're doing a really good job right now with we use a lot of kind of data and you know hard numbers and stuff when we when we roast and we are we're really um, I think one of the better companies in the UK in terms of our like uh, cupping and kind of quality control program mm-hmm. which is uh, run by um, uh, his nickname is Moose um, his name's Alex Wallace he's um, he's uh, really amazing I'm seeing a common thread here got yeah the there's lots of amaze. there's lots of nicknames. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're do, we're doing a lot to just try to you know understand the relationship between roasting and and flavor, mm-hmm. um, and then of course um, understanding kind of the how the sourcing side uh, also feeds into that. So lots of lots of looking at numbers, but in a fun way.
0: <laughs> and so uh, I, uh, you were telling me that all the cafes had to shut down yeah. for a while. Um, have have things resumed at all in any way? Yeah,
1: um, London, for better or worse, I mean, the whole of the UK came out of all lockdown um, uh, just a, a few days ago, actually. So okay. according to you know the government there, they basically just said, okay, we're like ripping the plaster off, as you would say in the mm-hmm. UK. Um, and I don't know, there's a lot of um, arguments being made for and against doing it right now, but uh, things have been reopened now for a couple of months. Um, in May, they lifted the restrictions on indoor dining, which was good for a lot of reasons, and we were able to open the restaurants at almost full capacity at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so our, our cafes, uh, all the restaurants have a really you know, big emphasis on coffee. They all have their own coffee bars and takeaway. Um, but um, we also have a small cafe um, on The Strand, which is like a big uh, street in downtown London. But we're hoping to open a um, a cafe in the roastery, so we have a, a really nice space in the front of the building, um, which should be open by the end of the summer as well. Which will be great because we can just do some really nerdy coffee yeah. stuff there. It's
0: always a cool experience to be able to bring the customers. As you into guys know, yes, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, so cool. Yeah. All right. So, as your uh, like with your your history prior to being in Caravan, you were working for uh, this charity. You've been mm-hmm. uh, doing the research on you know, with the, the farmers in Colombia, mm-hmm. uh, I think the main focus of these conversations that we've been having is on ethically you know, purchasing coffee. Yeah. Uh, and it's on this, the idea of a pursuit of a, a better price for farmers mm-hmm. or understanding what a sustainable price is for farmers. Uh, so a couple questions that are, uh, we're just kind of going to kind of dive into here. Sure, so, right uh coffee quality right as it is correlated to the price you pay mm-hmm. um, What are your thoughts on you know how that is currently structured and whether or not that's uh, to be more clear how are how how should the price that we pay for coffee be correlated to
1: the to quality coffee quality mm-hmm. Well, I think we have to look at coffee as like one representative of a larger agricultural industry uh, and understand that there's um, there's there's not a lot of precedent um, set for the nuance that we have in coffee uh, in a lot of places. Quality might be just based on like sorting levels or um, some kind of intrinsic physical quality of the product in many other types of industries. So, you know, the fruit industry, for example, you're not sitting there going, this is an 86-point banana, mm-hmm. um, so I think we're like we're really forging a new kind of path. Um, maybe one best you know looked at in like the wine industry, but it's hard to make those comparisons because wine has very some real intrinsic differences between coffee and wine. Mm-hmm. But I would say that the the relationship has to be taken with a real um, grain of salt because some places the cost of production for even a, a like an 84-point coffee is is very high. Mm-hmm. Um, and some places just naturally produce really lovely coffees that, um, you know, y- y- I-, I think there isn't just a one-to-one quality to to price uh, ratio. Um, but I think there's a lot of uh, discovery still to do in terms of what that relationship should look like. I don't know if I have the answer there, but um, I certainly think we have to take more than just quality into account when we start setting prices.
0: And then, as far as uh not, not so much an opinion, but have you discovered anything as far as uh, like some some hard data on good prices in particular environments? Mm-hmm. Like for instance, uh, with our work in Colombia, we work with a, an exporter called Azahar mm-hmm. and they do some really great work with uh, evaluating like farm profit profitability. Right. Uh, like so they give farmers a lot of data and we've based our prices uh, that we we choose to pay like above the asking price based off of the data that they've found to right. be profitable. Do you have any uh, relationships that you're happy with in that way? Yeah,
1: we work with a, a small um, importer called Raw Material. They're a social enterprise. Um, they work in. They started in Colombia and then they've they work now in a handful of origins. And they mm. they've done a, a, a decent amount of their own research, but they've also just kind of works with um, price setting as a measurement of like, um, uh, yeah, trying to take basic cost of production and uh, living uh, wage ideas and then set a a fixed price above that. That's a little, it's being tested a bit right now. Mm -hmm. Um, That model, however, has produced a lot of just, they produce a lot of data being able to show the percentage over um, the kind of average cost of production, the average living cost, and that is, you know, coming out to anywhere from like 15% above to sometimes double or triple the, um, depending on the, the quality and the amount that the producer is um, is growing. But it's not always consistent. That data can be difficult, um, and it doesn't. Data can be slippery in the sense that it doesn't uh, incorporate all of the other actors in that process as well so you might be talking about living standards for a family of four uh, living on you know land that they own and work um, but it doesn't maybe take into account the people that work temporarily on the farm yeah. um, or the other people that might work in the interim so like the warehouse employees and so i think the data is still while it's great to have it's still uh, an incomplete picture
0: it's such a good point about the people that work in the warehouses mm-hmm. and we really as much work as we have put in, it still leaves a new set of questions with Always each does. answer. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's great. We work. I've been working with the the team in Raw Material Colombia. I mean, I speak with Miguel there, um, their head of operations there, on a weekly, sometimes daily basis, just to kind of you know stay really closely in touch about, especially right now with what's happening on the ground and. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to understand where the prices need to move when, when things change and trying to be as dynamic with our own buying as possible. Um, and also using that data to help, you know, explain that to people in the company that might not be as, um, might not be as, you know, hands in. So our, our finance team and things and just preparing everyone for, for what changes might look like. And I think, you know, it's about having buy-in from the whole company, from everybody that's try- what we're trying to achieve on you know in London and in the UK and then also understanding you know how changes at origin will will feed into that and vice versa Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: so yeah I don't know that's kind of a vague answer there but
0: yeah I mean I you made a talking about coffees like or the coffee crop like bananas Mm. is is interesting uh, because I I was thinking about this it really is in some ways it is just like any other like bananas or pineapples, yep. a tropical fruit that grows, yep, and in some ways it is like wine, and it's sort of like this area where it's not just like either of those, yeah. but right now, uh for those that don't know, we're seeing this uh just in the last couple of days, we've seen a huge increase in the like global commodity level price yeah. for coffee, which is affecting you know our world and the specialty in a different way than I would have expected uh, yeah. just because. You're talking about coffee like a banana. Mm-hmm. So many of the the groups that we work with are buying coffee from farmers mm-hmm. and then processing it. and mm-hmm. we're working we're working with those people that are processing the coffee. Right. You know we've, we've made efforts to get closer to the farmers. But right now're w- what they're dealing with is the the price that the commodity people are paying for the coffee is just for today, not too far off of the price that the specialty people are paying yeah. for coffee. Yeah. Which is not a bad thing for those that are farming commodity coffee. No, uh, it's a great that thing. have it. It's great. It's sort of what and it's weird. It's like that's what we're one that's of the big we things we're advocating yeah, for. Yeah, definitely. However, for the people in the middle that are important to process and maintain the quality, it has all of a sudden made their profitability, you know, below the cost. Right. So how the, it, it's like a very interesting thing to where it's it's almost like the farmers, many many farmers are producing a product that's treated like a banana.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then we are also working with these people in the middle that are working more like winemakers. Like wine,
1: yeah. Yeah, and I think also the, the frustration that you can, as I, 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 you know, you can see it from both sides, you know, the people that are farming commercial coffee for one reason or another aren't, able to produce quality, aren't focused on producing quality, Mm -hmm. and they're then receiving a price that is um, close to people that often really invest very heavily in their farms and potentially those specialty prices aren't going up at the same rate as the commercial prices. So you can see that there might be some frustration building from people that do invest heavily into the specialty um, side of their business the inputs are just so much greater. You know, we're talking about just time uh, and investment into into this um, system, which is supposed to have, you know, the output that will, you know, increase the, for, for the coffee that they're growing. But it doesn't, I don't think that, one of the problems is that you, you have a market that's based on scarcity and some other factors. And then the specialty market, which is ostensibly more stable, mm-hmm but it doesn't respond to those triggers as quickly or as... Uh, and so, yeah, I can see now the, this, this push and pull effect, which is that people might divest from specialty if they think, you know, I can make almost as much money um, selling commercial grade coffee, which requires a lot less of my time mm-hmm. and effort. And I think that's a, that's a big worry for people um, looking at this current situation is that it would be it would be discouraging to people that have been putting in the time and effort for the last you know few years to just then just go okay well. I'm just not going to bother. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know if it will work out that way in the long run because we're probably not going to see these prices stick around. In my opinion, I think it's going to be pretty volatile over the next few weeks. But yeah, yeah, we'll have to see.
0: Any ideas on how to communicate? Because for me, I'm still each time something like this happens, I'm I'm new enough in my coffee buying journey to where I learn something brand new about the uh, global coffee commodities trade every time something like this happens. How do we communicate these ideas to customers in a way that makes any sense or makes them, you know, that's compelling in a cafe setting?
1: Um, I think there's like certain narratives that people are exposed to more regularly uh, that are maybe easier to understand that um, I don't go into like commercial market versus specialty market dynamics. That's even for people in coffee sometimes is really confusing. Mm -hmm. I think more of it is just, um, yeah, the understanding of like craftsmanship and, craftsmanship, uh, and the, um, the like technical skill and just how difficult it is to produce a product at the level that we are buying. Um, really talking about that, you know, that, that value that's added through the producer, through the, their knowledge, um, how much goes into it there, and also processing and, and people that are working in processing facilities and warehouse facilities that are you know, um, really adding value to what people are tasting in the cup and how much scale that involves. You know, that's a really easy mm-hmm. one because people that drink nice wine usually assume that the people that created the wine weren't just happening upon it by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's, there's already a, a, an understanding there. So I think that's usually my, the way that I go about it. Um, as opposed to saying, yeah, there's, there's a lot of other things you could say, but I like to just, yeah, try to use metaphors people already understand. Yeah, <laughs> keep it focused
0: on metaphors that exist in either specialty industries. Yeah, and Trying exactly. to just communicate. Mm-hmm mostly to those people, yeah. um, at least to get started. Definitely. So I, w- I do want to make sure that I touch on this one. Something I would have liked to know, because I've been in coffee for about 10 years too, mm-hmm. and pretty early on I wanted to be working towards a job like what I have now. Yeah. What, like, what are, what's some advice for people that are new to coffee, they would like to one day be working in roasting, green coffee, quality control, those types of jobs?
1: Oh, um. I think that the most attractive thing when I'm looking to hire someone, and you know, um, I can tell you my own story of how I got into things, but I think for me, a lot of luck was involved. But I think for most people, the 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 most important thing is to is to have passion about what you're doing, and to ask questions, and to demonstrate that you're interested in in that as a career pathway. Um, It's difficult for people in uh, in roasting and and sourcing to find um, you know you you want to be able to find people that are going to do the work that it takes to to educate themselves because we're not talking about a a community that has a university program or you know there's not a lot of uh, Training, except for on-the-job training for a lot of these jobs. So, mm-hmm. if I'm training somebody to roast, and that person is has the initiative to, you know, read things, um, look up things, ask questions, and really take control and and you know ownership over their own um, learning process and kind of development, that's great because it makes me feel confident that I can you know help them along, but they have like an idea of what they're looking for. Um, so that would be my, my biggest thing. If you ever, you know, find a job that's opening up or even just to like ask, be like, hey, is there like, just don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to just actually go into the roastery and say, hey, I'd love to get a job here. What, what can I do? Mm-hmm. Um, I've hired people that had no roasting experience just because they, they, you know, they love coffee. They like genuinely love coffee, which is the best, you know, starting point for anyone that wants to roast.
0: That's great. Um, This next one, uh, forgive me if I phrase this in any way, but in any way that is, you know, apart from what my intentions are, but I, uh, with, so so you're a woman, Mm -hmm. you are in a position for what we've noticed, um, you know, Xavier and I, when we were putting together, trying to look for guests, Mm -hmm. we wanted to to have a broad spectrum of, uh, what's the word, uh,
1: Different identities. Yeah, different identities. Yeah, yeah
0: representation. We yeah. were looking for, and th- there's not a, a wide diverse spectrum of representation. No. There's, uh, you know, there's a few people that aren't white men doing yeah. this, but most people that are sourcing green coffee are, are white men and I'd really like to see that that change. Um, yeah. I'd like to know, uh, you know, not asking for you to speak for, for everybody or every mm-hmm. situation, but um, what can you know other other companies other green buyers listen to this that i know feel the same way mm. do you have any any thoughts on like ways that we can reach people that we would like to you know bring into the fold
1: yeah there's there's a couple things i think on the roasting side on roasting and which i think then usually segues into green buying mm-hmm. um Roasting is often considered to be a job that's like extremely physical, and and it it can it can be one that like tends to uh, attract um, people from a pretty really narrow band of uh, you know you're you're getting a lot of, of kind of um, able-bodied men mm-hmm. um, typically and. One of the reasons for that, I think, is, well, one, it's about hiring practices and how we how we go about that. But the other thing is, is just making the jobs accessible for everyone. So, you know, if you're expecting people to um, physically, you know, lift and move 70 kilo bags of coffee around a roastery without injuring themselves, mm-hmm. or, you know. Without help. Yeah, like, without help. Um, it's about, like, setting up um, each of your employees for success, no matter what their physical abilities would be, and, I, I can't say that we've done it perfectly at Caravan, and mm-hmm. I think we have a long way to go, but uh, making those jobs accessible to um, all body types is, is a good first step um, towards encouraging people to stay or to enter that industry. And then it's about, yeah, hiring practices. It's, it's such a um, small, often like friendly commu- community of people. Everybody, you know, we all know each other, and we're all, but then, you know, this is pretty standard stuff, but, you know, if you're just hiring your friends, and your friends all look like you, Talk like you, and you know, and it, you might not think that you're trying to discriminate, but you're just replic- replicating what you're used to, what you're com- comfortable mm-hmm. with. So it's about actually, you know, saying, okay, I know a friend that's interested in this job, but actually, maybe the better thing is to is to put this out there on a wider, um, you know, and not just onto coffee forums, not just onto these things that potentially other people are. It's going to be the same, you know, community. So. It's taken me a long time to realize that that might be one of the reasons that we're not getting more diversity. Is just that we all hire um, people that we know, but we, we do need to like look at it a little bit deeper, um, and you know also be a bit more patient. You know, if somebody's like, oh, but I could hire this person tomorrow, it's like, yeah, but you know, give yourself a couple weeks. Wait till the next person comes in. Give yourself a bigger pool to look at.
0: hmm That's those are great words. I think the one, I mean, uh, the idea of roasting for uh accessibility Mm -hmm. is huge because even yeah even though i have you know that i and i recognize that for me that was maybe one of the reasons that i was uh given a job over somebody else at one point Mm -hmm. but i don't see it as an important task in being a a good roaster a good roaster that has nothing to do with lifting a bag of green no
1: and it really i think you know, there's some importers now talking about like uh, 35 kilo bags um, mm-hmm. as as like a, trying to move away from these larger bag sizes. It's not just good for roasters; it's good for people who work in the warehouses as well. Um, you know, it, it we do need to start thinking about solutions that don't involve uh, you know asking people to put themselves in harm's way um, because I know I I just simply refuse to you know um, lift a green coffee sack anymore. Uh, it's just at 37 years old, mm-hmm. there's not. It's it's not it's not a smart thing. It, it, at 25 years old, it's not a smart thing. It's sure. just not a wise thing for people to be doing. So yeah, asking for help and encouraging your employees to ask for help and not asking them to just you know muscle through. Sure, maybe things. getting like
0: a grain loader of some sort. Exactly. It's not that big of an investment. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. Thank you for,
1: uh, yeah. for sharing that with us. I have uh, some questions about um, the kind of like can you tell me what is the you know what is the best thing you've learned sin- since starting this like what did, have you had any takeaway ideas or thoughts um, about how we can become better at sourcing that you'd like to share
0: I think that idea of representation is uh, equally important mm-hmm. in the, the sourcing scenario once again I mean it it can go as simple as to like when we were looking it's like there's not very many diverse people that are doing our job mm-hmm. but so you know so few of us are really putting in the right or maybe an effective effort to communicate uh about these questions mm-hmm. with with uh, people further down the supply chain sure um, i think that, that the first one to my mind is that that uh the the answer is we we shouldn't be the ones making these decisions you know yeah. um, as yeah. far as the the prices of the green coffee. Right. It really should. I think a farmer should have a whole lot more uh, representation in that matter.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the end, I think I, I watched a, a a speech by uh, an amazing person named Evermeister, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, she was talking about the um, relationship between, you know, how we use language when we're talking about coffee. And one of the one of the things that really stuck to me was this idea that we're 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 kind of elevating the position of the roaster, often when we're talking about, um, you know, what we, how we view ourselves, which is, you know, we're like a relationship manager, or we're, you know, in reality, often we're just a customer, Um, we're a customer of a a farmer, a farmer Mm -hmm. produces a product, and they sell us a product, and we buy that product. And without, like, a lot of definition, I'm not going to go into it too much, but I actually Agree with Meister that it's it's. Hard. I would challenge people to change the way that they look at relationships because if you don't think that person would use the same language about you, maybe you are you know um, being a bit hyperbolic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to just actually normalize the idea that we are a customer of a farmer or an exporter or co-op, mm-hmm. and that gives a lot more power than to those people to set their own uh boundaries and prices and i think that's yes that's one good step and then also just um the green buyer having worked you know in in importing as well they do hold a a great deal of, of power um because of the way that commission and things like that are set up for importers often so maybe um it's up to the green buyer to try to um to have a, a better education for themselves about supply chain issues. And I don't know if there's ever going to be a coffee school for green buyers, but there certainly should be some prerequisites when it comes to getting those jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, if you own a coffee company and you're looking for a new green buyer, um, what education does that person have about supply chain dynamics? And do they have opinions about? ethics in the coffee supply, you know, like those, those are things that you should ask before you even hire someone.
0: Right. And I think that, that actually brought up another point that was made by uh, somebody else that we interviewed uh, kind of in a similar thread to like looking at ways that we can be more effective uh, and it was the idea that, you know, in our position of, uh, you know, relatively much higher privilege in many mm-hmm. of the countries in our particular positions. Uh, For us to not take advantage of an opportunity to educate ourselves in Mm -hmm. some way to be more effective, you know, whether it's you know looking at this green buyer job, is you know is this as effective as us? You know, can we go to school and Mm -hmm. and really study something and become an, an actual expert in something as opposed to you know.
1: Learning like, on the job. Yeah, learning on the yeah. job,
0: parading like an expert yeah. and really just being a customer. Like. right?
1: Yeah, there's, there's also you know that's a, a big thing about these independent companies that you know it's we're running on tight margins often, but like making the time time and budget for your employees to get um, education opportunities and training opportunities outside of your own company. Um, whether that's going for, for green buyers maybe it's like supporting them on their they want to learn Spanish mm-hmm. or they want to take a you know a course on on you know economics um, or for roasting you know actually having them take some roasting courses that mm-hmm. aren't just the way that you teach them because yeah. I feel like I teach people to roast in a certain way but it's I'm not perfect at it and some mm-hmm. things are explained better by other people so. Yeah, making that a big, you know, making that a priority and budgeting for that and giving people time to do that is, is huge, you can really encourage, I think, just, it, it could only really bring better things to your company. Um, and yeah, I think also just, just having a bit of humility about what you don't know. I feel like I started out my coffee career feeling like I would, I wanted to know and, and tell everybody that I knew so many things and now I, I really don't know much and i feel like that's a good place to start when you have a conversation with somebody
0: can't agree more i am learning less every day (laughs) yeah uh well i want to thank you so much for well i'm I'm very glad that you made it here to visit me too Uh, right after this we're about to go taste a bunch of coffees from your side of the pond
1: yeah from the uk it's
0: great um and yeah so if anybody has any questions uh, how can they reach out to you That's a good way to get in touch
1: um you can uh follow me on instagram it's automatic like the animal matic automatic or you can um yeah send me an email it's just um my given name which is andrea Mm -hmm. at caravancoffeeroasters.co.uk and also follow um our company which is caravan coffee roasters which is on instagram and all the other Little bits that we have circulating in this technological world, um, and yeah, I would. I'm always up for having a chat about all things coffee. Very good. So thank you very much for this. This was a really lovely opportunity to talk about things and uh, and taste some delicious coffee. We hope. Yeah. That'd be great.
0: Likewise. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you yeah. very much. Mm-hmm. Cheers. <laughs>